So, Greg, we have two things we can discuss. We can either discuss how um, you were a a guest on another music podcast. Sorry, you weren't a guest. Yeah. You made an appearance of sorts. Um, yeah, <clears throat> you were you were the one that uh, kicked uh, one of Canada's top guitarists and producers to the curb. Or we can talk about Metallica. Um, I think we should talk about Metallica. All right, let's talk about Metallica. So let's let's go back more than a decade, maybe, to, to start talking about Metallica. Yeah, 20, 20 years? 20 years. So 20 years ago. Oh, at least 20 years. Probably close to 25 years ago. Wow. Um, no, 20 years ago. There was a file sharing platform. That what was the name of it again? I always want to just say Spotify for everything. <laughs> Napster. Napster. Yeah. So there was a file sharing platform, Napster. That uh, you, when you and I were kids, we were using to listen to music. Yep. Um, and Metallica uh, came to the defense of all musicians. Whether they wanted them to or not, yep. Yeah, and said, no, you cannot do this. We're taking you to court. Yes. And I don't know how much money was spent. I don't know how long it was in court. Taking who to court? They were taking people to court, weren't they? That is correct. Yeah. They were taking their fans to court. Yeah, for sharing their music. Correct. On on that. Now, we, you know, we're not, we're not going to talk about the the sort of the, the file sharing necessarily good, bad, indifferent, but that's what they did. And do you, I don't think it went anywhere. I think they gave up, didn't they? I don't know about from the lawsuit perspective, but they certainly drove policy. They drove policy, right? So anyway, so Napster goes out of business. Um, but yes, they, they drove policy and, and they, and what, is the result of that is a um, is a is a uh, what what's the name of that 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 policy, Greg? It's like a it's like a season desist. DMCA. Oh, DMCA. Yeah. What does DMCA mean? Digital music. Uh, uh, Digital millennial. Digital millennial. Copyright Act. Yeah, that's right. Millennial. Not millennial, as in like. The kids. But millennial as in the kids. But it was born around <laughs> the same time. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So so that that act essentially is if you're going to, if, if a platform um, is going to play music, so maybe YouTube, as an example, is going to play music, they need to clear the rights, right? And, and we've seen, for example, um, you know, we know that, you could find music on YouTube, but we also know there are some YouTubers that also sometimes need to clear the permission, right? So somebody that you and I follow, uh, Rick Beato, um, sometimes uh, gets his videos taken down or gets his videos demonetized uh, because he hasn't cleared with um, the the rights holders or, or the publishers uh, yeah, permission. Yeah. 
essentially, yeah, right? But yeah, be, yes, yes. But they can come from anywhere. The the claims can come from anywhere. Of course, it would be sort of like if somebody released um, similarly on, under DMCA. If somebody did a podcast and then they they released a podcast uh, episode about like a, a a former bar, and then that podcaster just took a picture off of Google.com and used that on their website, it'd be that kind of thing. You know what I mean? I don't know who would ever do that. No, who would do such a thing? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't know who would do that. But let's... that also follows under DMC. <laughs> Carry on. Is Carry it? on. Okay. I'm looking forward to this episode. <laughs> Go ahead. So, so um, BlizzCon happens. BlizzCon is is a annual uh, event held by uh, put on by Blizzard, uh, which uh, makes video games popular. Games such oh, I thought as they make those ice cream treats. No, that's Dairy Queen. Oh, <laughs> okay. uh, World of Warcraft. <laughs> Um, Overwatch are, are just a couple of, of, of those games. Very popular uh, company. BlizzCon happens. BlizzCon clears the rights. They're, uh, they're given permission to, um, to, to be able to use their music. And they have Metallica as a guest act uh, during BlizzCon. However, Twitch, uh, which... Uh, interestingly enough, was formerly called Justin.tv, Justin TV. And for many people, our uh, our vintage, uh, that's the site that you went on to uh, watch live pay-per-view events if you didn't want to fork out 50 to 100 bucks uh, to mm-hmm. watch Hulk Hogan slam Andre the Giant. Um, they're now... Twitch and Twitch is the place where people go to, uh, to among other things, watch gaming content. And BlizzCon uh, was uh, being streaming streamed on Twitch. Yeah. Twitch didn't clear the rights, so as soon as Metallica starts playing, what happens, Greg? They smash cut to this. Over top of. So you've got Metallica rocking out. And you've got 8-bit lounge music underneath. 8-bit. Or over top. So which, which which is hilarious. It's poetic. Because the reason that. And I love Metallica, yeah. but it is poetic. <laughs> it is like it just—you couldn't, you couldn't have written a more poetic thing to have happened. Yes. So live, it, it got cut out. So they were still performing, but the music wasn't. Oh, yeah. The music wasn't coming through. Oh yeah. But you can now watch them uh, and play uh, their music. Uh, I think at uh, BlizzCon's YouTube channel. Or, or elsewhere. I know. I know. It's it's now up, but uh, I found it funny seen, that have you've you ever seen Metallica live. I have. Yes, I have. Oh, I have seen Metallica live at uh, the old exhibition. Yeah. Yes, that was the first time that I ate pepperoni pizza, and the <laughs> first time that I inhaled 
uh, secondhand weed. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you had a good night. <laughs> yeah, that concert, uh, I, there was it was a bunch of bands. I think there were four. I can't remember for the first one. The second one was the Black Crows. Love Black Crows. Oh, beautiful. Love them. Uh, they were supposed to tour this past. Yes, summer, that's right. The third band <sighs> was Metallica. Yeah, third band. Yeah. And the fourth band, now this is way back in the, I guess the early 90s. Uh, the fourth band was Aerosmith. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I went for Aerosmith. The majority of the crowd, the male crowd was there for Metallica. And you and the female crowd were there for? Me. Aerosmith. Yeah. And the Black Crows. <laughs> cool. That's cool. Yeah. I wasn't meaning to make a comment there. No, no. I, no. I was saying that it sounded really bad. It was funny, though, yeah, to perfect. see the crowd rush for Metallica and then sort of mellow out for, for Aerosmith. I still remember that. That was, uh, that was funny. And that's the pre-show. And that's the pre-show. Hi. The following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. All right. Well, I am Danny Miles. I am the drummer of July Talk, Canadian band. And I also do some production and stuff for other artists. And I'm in a other group called Tongue Helmet. Um, but best known for being the drummer of July Talk. And I just want to say thank you for having me. Welcome to the Music Podcast. Is there anything you don't want to talk about? Mm-mm. All right. No, I'm not. I'm not Billy Bob Thornton. I'm good. Whoa! <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I good. love Billy Bob, though. To be honest, yeah, it is like one of my favorite movies. He's also in Tombstone, which is a great movie. Did you know he's in Tombstone? He's like the Clint. A, the Clint he's, no, the Tombstone. It's, uh, it's Kurt Russell. Oh, yeah. What's what's, uh, what's Val your... Kilmer? Yeah, and it's a '90s movie, and he's kind of like a chubby bald guy. So you definitely. What's your Huckleberry? Yeah, I remember that line from that yeah. movie. <laughs> <laughs> Love that movie. Um, yeah. I didn't know that he's a chubby guy. Interesting. Well, he's definitely went through a form like a transformation. I think around like just before the Angelina Jolie years. Yeah. Hmm. I loved him in Fargo, the uh, TV series. Oh yeah, he was awesome. Oh my goodness. Just I actually that. had a crazy. I had a really interesting. I have like a Billy Bob Thornton connection. Which We're going to talk about that. Let me jot that down here. <laughs> <laughs> actually, let me let me just ask it's you. It's a pretty you, cool story, really. What, to, to, why why don't we tell that story now? What's what's what is the the Billy Bob Thornton connection that uh, Danny Miles has <clears> with him? So it it all happened because it was New Year's Eve, and we were going up to my roommate at the times. Uh, Jared Rab's parents' house, and they live in Millbrook, 
So like, whatever, it's near P- Peterborough. So it's an yeah. Allen drive or something. And Leia's friend needed a ride. And she had like a friend with her that I've never met before as a young guy. Yeah. And so my now wife and I are driving up. We're have like a car full of people and we're driving up. And this kid, he's like kind of like an emo kid. He's got like an Iron Maiden shirt on and really tight pants and like an emo haircut. And you're like, oh, this guy's pretty young and fully emo. It's hilarious. But he was like <laughs> just telling all these funny stories in the car and he's like pretty charismatic. Yeah. Kind of Anyways, we get to the party. We're hanging out. There might have been a bit of magic mushrooms involved in this New Year's party. I hope that's mm-hmm. that bad. Time. No, that's Bye. fine. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, him and I like hit it off and we spend the whole night together just like chatting and having such a great time. Yeah. And Leia was the one who like told me to pick this kid up. So then we go to band practice a couple days later. And she's like, it's just, it's so funny. Like, you just hung out with Billy Bob Thornton's son the whole night. And I was like, who? Billy Bob <laughs> Thornton. She's like, Willie. I was like, he's Willie Thornton? And she's like, yeah. And I, like, Google it. And there's, like, pictures of him, like, hugging Angelina Jolie and shit. And I'm like, crazy. <laughs> kind of glad I didn't know that. Might have been a different situation. <laughs> Might have been an awkward, more That's awkward if you knew that. Funny. But anyways, he's a really rad guy and we've stayed in touch and I've seen him at like the Junos and where else? He's weirdly enough, his connection too is with Daniel Lanois, the producer. Yeah, yeah. So they must be like close family contact or something. Cause he was staying at Daniel Lanois Toronto house or Hamilton house. I don't know his studio. Um, and so yeah, when they Daniel Lanois played the gala at the Junos in Hamilton, and he was like, Willie Bob Thornton was part of his entourage. Whoa. Like hanging out. So th- does That's Billy crazy. Bob have a Canadian connection? I don't Well, I guess Daniel Lanois would be, he's probably, they're, they're probably just buddies through okay. LA, I imagine, right? And like, okay. I know like Billy Bob loves going to the Rainbow Room, and he's part of that whole sunset strip scene so i'm sure daniel anwa has been out there a few times but plus yeah. his music career and stuff so i'm sure that you know what i mean like, exactly yeah, yeah, yeah i don't know i wonder if they even if he produced billy bob's record or something who knows who knows i don't know i don't know i've never listened to billy bob's music but i know that <laughs> with you know what now you look back and it was giangameshi and so you don't feel bad that billy <laughs> 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 Um, Greg's wife, uh, almost, probably every other day shares pictures of birds, right? Uh, from her backyard, usually cardinals. I think it's a yep. couple. Um, there's cardinals that come out to my feet or outside my window here. Today, there were um, woodpeckers, the ones with Jesus. the red mohawk, yeah, which is hard to tell because there's two kinds that we get here is. that are very similar looking. There's a hairy woodpecker and a downy woodpecker downy's the one yeah yeah so they're a little bit smaller and like a shorter beak and then the hairy woodpecker is a bit larger but a little longer beak but really hard to tell yeah you know so i know that i didn't say that in the intro but i guess i'm also known for my (laughs) bird photography i know yeah (laughs) so go to your instagram you certainly know that right (laughs) yeah you go to the instagram are you sure this guy's a drummer (laughs) (laughs) 
You're sort of National Geographic photographer, <laughs> which you could, which you probably could be. I mean, some of those it's great photography are just great, great work. I appreciate that, and uh, I mean, I, I really just like. I think I, you know, have been lucky and kind of got some great shots. But like those National Geographic guys, and I would love to do that. But those those men, women, whoever, yeah. uh, they are. They spend six months in the field researching like one bird or one animal and finally get those like crazy shots. You know what I yeah. mean? And that's some next level stuff. And you so go out definitely one day. more of a hobbyist than like a National Geographic. <laughs> Although you got some nice photos of, um, I, I, again, I'm, I'm not too much of a bird guy, but I know there was one day you said, okay, I'm going to go get pictures of an owl. Yeah. And you went out and, you literally got pictures of that specific owl. It was a snowy owl. Yeah. And it was New Year's Day, I don't know, three, four years ago. And it was, I went to Tommy Thompson Park because I had heard there are snowy owls there. Yeah. And so I literally just like, it was minus 35 weather. I was like, got as bundled up as possible. And I was like, I'm going out to find this. And it was probably the third bird I saw. Wow. I saw like a red-tailed hawk. And I saw, I think, like a black-eyed junco, and then I saw a snowy owl. And it just chilled. It let me, like, those first photos I got of the snowy owl were just, like, kind of, it was sitting behind some bricks. So we're, like, it was a really cool atmosphere because if you're at Tommy Thompson Park, there's all that, like, washed up. There's bricks and metal and all kinds of things that look like it's been, it's, I think it's a landfill, basically. Yeah, it's it's a construction material dump to create the, yeah. yeah. So it was just a really cool, like, platform for me to get these photos of this owl that just, because, you know, they're more nocturnal, it was chilling. Nice. Eventually, you like, you shouldn't bother these animals because eventually you start to, like, bother them. But I did get a bunch of good shots and then left it alone. Yeah. Have, you, have you ever gone up to the Manitoulin before? No. And, no. Well, I, yes, you know, the Manitoulin up in northern, right? Yeah. North and, um, Lake Huron. So we've got a place up there. My family's from up there. Amazing. And this past, this past year, I guess last year, my wife's a teacher and she took last year off. Um, and so with the whole COVID thing around whatever, when Doug Ford opened up Airbnbs, but wouldn't let us go up to the cottage, we're like, screw this. <laughs> and so we packed up because she had, she was off and we headed North. And when we got there, there was, there were two loons and the, the loons meet and for life and, you know, they keep coming back. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden we started seeing something on their back. And then we saw another thing on their back. And so we just spent the last year until we had to come back. Cause she went back to teaching in September, watching these two loons bring up these two babies, which apparently two doesn't happen. Like one might happen in 10 years or whatever it is. These two loons had two babies. So we spent yeah. goosebumps because we get, to, and so to Green's point, my wife has, I don't even know how many hundreds or thousands of photos. And so she's an avid bird photographer. Like She, she loves it. Yeah, she's not. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. She loves She loves she's, to take pictures of Would you, you consider her a birder? For sure. Uh, yeah, more than me, for sure. Are you <laughs> I mean, also, I mean, I love, so you're, by association, did you get in birds as well? Because I, I've always loved birds. I've always loved I mean, around our cottage, we've always had 
you know, the hummingbird feeders up. Even when I was a kid, my mom had all the hummingbird feeders yeah. and, and for the um, Orioles, the oranges and yeah, yeah, we do. We, well, we always try to, you know, get as many birds around. In fact, we'd be recording last year. What if, I don't know, whoever we were recording, probably I think it was Sass Jordan and Kareem and Kareem and Sass are like, are those birds I hear? <laughs> like god and i'm inside the cottage it's it's amazing That's anyway, i'm only saying as, as as a birder you would love it up there just uh, yeah i definitely need everything. to check it out for sure yeah. there's so many spots i need to go i really need to i mean eventually i really want to like right now i'm really focusing on music and like i have a new house and a new wife and a new dog it's really taking up a lot of my time uh for the birding thing, but I feel like I have many years to really sure. explore that hobby. And who knows, maybe I'll become a national geographic photographer. <laughs> <There you go>. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you had a good segue back into the fact that we're a music podcast. So. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> that is right. Well, I actually did this hobby of yours get started um, while you were like on, t- was it one of those, you're on tour, you're bored somewhere. So let me just go out and do something. Like, yeah. It was, I mean, it's funny because so in my, my opinion, it started, I've always loved animals. I've always like been into animals and stuff and nature. And I'm a big like hiker. I love walking. I'll walk, even if it's just like city walking, I'll walk for 20 kilometers, like something like that. But, um, so I'd be on tour and we used to tour for like, we were almost on tour for five years, like nonstop. We would come home for maybe a couple weeks or a month and then like be back out just nonstop. And we weren't doing like bus tours. We were doing like van, like hardcore tours early on. We do like more bus stuff now, but um, so you kind of get like, you need your space. So yeah. what happened was, is I would like wake up in the morning and just like go out and hike. This is, and I would just be out like walking around by myself, listening to music, whatever. And this one day in Florida, I can't remember which town, the outskirts of some city. Um, I was just walking around this suburb neighborhood and there was two sandhill cranes on the front lawn, which are like beautiful birds, big birds, kind of like compare them to like our egrets kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so I always watch them for like, 20 minutes and then they flew away and i was like that was really fun maybe i'm into birds and so i just started like getting this idea that i was into birding but i was like i'm not gonna tell anyone they'll be weirded out so i didn't and then we like did a bunch of american dates up to montreal and when i was in montreal i like bought my first field guide on that tour and i was like i'm just gonna go for a walk up the mountain and like see what i can find with my book like whatever so i just Secretly was starting to bird. And then my mom, and then I was like, I want a camera. My mom got me like a Canon Rebel for Christmas the next year. So I started doing like some photos. Not a great camera. Good for beginners, but not great for birds. Like you really need a specific kind of lens for birds. Um, But I did some of that and I posted them on Instagram. And then I like, as a joke, put hashtag drummers who love birds and it just became this thing that like people thought was hilarious or like they really like kind of I guess they were fascinated that I as a drummer I was doing this because it 
it's more common now, I feel like, in a way, for young people to be birding, as far as I can yeah. tell. But, like, that, like, four or five years ago, it was, like, a little weird, I guess. So, <laughs> yeah. And that just motivated me. I was getting some attention on Instagram. And yeah. I was like, oh, this is just something I feel like I really like doing it. It's giving me a little bit of attention outside of the band because as a drummer, you're like, I need more attention. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, it really just kind of started that way and then got a better camera, invested in that, got a better lens, started like really getting serious about it, like took a photography class, did all that stuff. And then Vice did a doc like a mini documentary like a six minute mini doc thing that was like pointing out like the very like different sides of like what I was doing so at night I was like being this like rock drummer and no partying and then like getting up and like going out birding which helps with the hangover for sure (laughs) (laughs) but uh so yeah and that was a little bit like poking fun too. Like they did it in a really like clever way as Vice does. Like it's like, yeah, look at this guy. It's hilarious. You know what I mean? But not too much that it's offensive. It was just well done. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. So was that the discussion about how to get more attention when, uh, what was it that you shared something on your Instagram not too long ago about the original drummer party? From, oh, yeah. from six years ago. Was, was that the topic on hand is how the heck do we get more attention? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny how like that became, cause that started as a joke with like Jordan of YC drums who like builds my drums and he's now become one of the biggest drum techs in Canada. Like the dude oh, yeah? done, he does like Billy Talon and big Rick and Arkell. He's big. Like his probably main gig is, uh, teching for Tim Oxford of the Arkells. So that's kind of like how Tim actually was the first one to play his drums. And Jordan brought me, he kept bugging me. He saw July Talk play in, he was from Ottawa. We opened for Matt Mays early on in Ottawa. And Jordan used to work at a venue like slugging gear. And so he helped carry the gear and saw us. And he was like, you should play. Like I'm starting to build drums, you should play with stuff. And then I was like, okay, dude. Yeah, you're like a kid. Cause he's young. He's still pretty young. He was probably like <laughs> 20 years old. And I was like, okay. Um, and then he kept bugging me and bugging me. And then it, he took me to go see Arkell's play at Adelaide hall. And Tim was playing his first ever drum kit. Oh, and it wow. sounded amazing. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Give me something to try out. And so he like gave me snares and so I started with some snares, which weren't great because snares are really hard to build. He's really great now at building snares, but then they weren't the best. So I still didn't go with them. But eventually I like was just like gave in and he built me my first kit, which is the kit I have in this room. And it sounds amazing. It's very like vintage sounding. That's what's so beautiful about his drums are like handmade, vintage sounding. Um more of like a 60s 70s style nice so i really love the sound of them uh where was it going with this (laughs) the drummer party yeah so we were i got very sidetracked about that i apologize that is cool (laughs) 
So yeah, we just like as a joke, I was like, we just do a drummer party, like drummers only party. And that's what we called it first. We were like drummers only party. And we just invited all our drummer friends. We had it at my apartment and Peter, like singer of July Talk, lived with me. Like we lived together. Yeah. But he wasn't allowed to be there. (laughs) And then all of a sudden it was just like 35 drummers. Like that picture wasn't even all the people that showed up. It was just like 35 drummers in this like little apartment in Toronto but like so fun wow everyone had the best time and you were just like what like the drummers we had there like Jeremy Taggart from Our Lady Peace and Josh Traggart from Sam Roberts that year we had Andrew from Sloan which was funny because when he showed up with his dog looking all tough like he's in that picture you can't even tell but every drummer in that room was like oh my god that's Andrew like from Sloan (laughs) Oh my God. And they're all just like freaking out, all the young guys. <laughs> yeah. We had like a lot of young, like Zach from Pup and Tim Markels and Paul from Rollo Bird Advantage. Like the list goes on. Jeremy from Strumbellas. I'm missing a million of these, these yeah. people. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. And it, so that we did that first year of success. Second year, we did it at Tim Oxford's like condo party room. Yeah which wasn't as great an atmosphere. So then the next year we started, then we started doing it at bars. So we did it like red light, which was rammed. I think we got like 60 or 70 people. Mm-hmm. Last year we did it at Dine Alone Records. Yeah. And now we also allow now wives and whoever partners. Yeah. To come. And so there's like, yeah, like 80 people, hundred people. It's just nice. wild. So we yeah that would have this year would have been six years I think or five six something wow. like that. That is awesome. That's cool. So Greg uh, used to be in a, in a few bands in Toronto back in the eighties uh, and nineties. Um, what bands. Uh, the the last band was called The Life. Cool. Um, and what kind of music was that? The la- The Life was uh, funk rock, heavier sort of boot saucy kind of peppers. Kind nice. of thing. I remember boot yeah. sauce. Yeah, boot sauce. Love boot I like sauce. That. Yeah. Bull? Is that the record? That was like their big bull. Record. Yeah, bull. There's bull. There was brown. Right. Brown was a follow up, or either way, the other way around. But anyway, this is yeah, all yeah. like like I remember this because my mom had Columbia House. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <We did> every, <laughs> remember that everyone had platinum yeah. records. In oh the yeah, night. oh for sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> they shipped them platinum. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> That's true. What was your other groups? Uh, there was International Boundaries. We were INB. We were managed uh, at that time by, um, we were with Jake Gold back when the hip oh, were, huh? we were sort of practice mates with the hip back in the day and cool. vis-a-vis, which is another sort of new band or whatever, new wave band, 80s band kind of thing. And, cool. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. I don't I've know where he was Jake, going with that. I've met Jake so. at, uh, was he on Canadian <laughs> Idol? Yeah. 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 Oh, I met him at the Junos when you're, but the hip guys, like Rob Baker, we know really well. He's yeah, like a yeah. big fan of, I'm not going to say put words in his mouth, but he apparently yeah. is a big fan of our band. comes to a lot of shows. Nice. We recorded at Bathhouse. He hung out for a bunch of times. It was really cool because like we were recording a song and it was like an, we needed an acoustic guitar. And Rob's just like, oh, Ian, just wait. I'm going to go down to my, you know basement of guitars he like brings up this acoustic guitar he's like this is the one i played on i have by a century 
Like, oh, nice. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. That is nice. Awesome. So the the reason I bring up that Greg was in a band was that he had the honor of firing uh, Mike Turner, who went on to co-found Our Lady Peace. Nice. So so Greg, we nice. always bug, we always bug <laughs> Greg that you know he's the guy that fired Mike Turner. But so do you know do you know do you know do you know Mike Langford, drummer producer. Uh, I know the, the name. name. Yeah. Um, anyway, he's okay. worked with Mike back when they had Pocket Studios, and, okay. and I think he worked with like, like when Mike was doing stuff with Edwin and uh, yeah. with uh, Crash Karma and with uh, Pete Lasperance when they had Little Affair. And anyway, so on. So Jim, uh, sorry, not Jim. Uh, Mike's got Mike Langford has Mike Turner on his podcast today, and up until now, anytime this guy's ever brought up about Mike. Yeah. I have always said, yeah, we just, I mean, we parted ways, you know, kind of like, you know, <laughs> we, we parted ways Well, I'm watching, I'm watching this. It's like two and a half hour discussion. It was quite interesting. You'd, you'd probably dig it. Cause it got a really lot into production as well. Cool. Sharing their production experience and that. Um, and, uh, and so I'm watching and, and they're going through Mike's history and Mike goes, yeah. And then, and then there's my band and it was all my, my good friends from high school and we're all buds and blah, blah, blah. And then, and then they, then they fired me. My friends fired me. <laughs> and my heart sank. I'm like, I'm calm on the phone to my therapist going, Hey, I got to book you in. I got to book you in a session. Cause I just, I, it was like, I had my heart broken and like, like it was more guilt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, he, cause like, I mean, he was a bit older, right? Than yeah. the other guy, especially yeah. Jeremy, because Jeremy's like quite wasn't he? Like they, they actually they actually talked about that in the interview where Mike was saying he was twenty nine at the time, and I think Jeremy was seventeen or something. Yeah, like, like I know I've heard stories that he couldn't get into bars and shit. Like they had to like yeah, help yeah. him get into the bars <laughs> for shows. <laughs> to play. <laughs> yeah. So, Danny, the question yeah. to you is: Is have you ever been fired or had to fire somebody from a band? I've never been fired from a band, but like as a drummer, are you not always just, unless you're some sort of egomaniac, I think you're, or maybe you're just every musician and is like run by fear of potentially losing your job. But I'm telling you in this discussion that Mike and Mike had today, you know, they were saying, you know, you can be an okay band and you have a great drummer and you're a good band. Yeah. You can have the best musicians. And if you have a shit drummer, you've got a shit band. It was really, really went deep into that today. It was really interesting. Well, it is like, I mean, in a way it's really interesting. And I mean, it really, how you define a good drummer is different in different people's opinions. Yeah. Like for me, I define a great drummer as someone who's like really playing to the song, keeping the tempo not being like being flashy is really awesome if you are playing that style of music and you are that good. But you see so many drummers that just overplay and you're like, you didn't need to do that fill right there. <laughs> the only reason you do that fill is to prove to yourself that you can do that fill. Yeah. And so like, it is funny when you think about like people diss Ringo all the time. I think Ringo is like a great, he's not the technically best drummer in the world, but he's an amazing feel. And he was great for the Beatles. If you had Neil Peart, who's far better technically playing for the Beatles, it would be a disaster. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I think, I think, that's right. Yeah, it's funny. It's like, 
was Meg White a good drummer? Not really, but she definitely had a style, and she definitely worked with Jack very well. It's perfect for the perfect for the band, perfect for the music. Yeah. And it's probably the best thing he ever did. He's had some really amazing players after the fact. I really love Raconteurs, oh, you know, and I love his yeah. solo stuff, but White Stripes might be the best thing he ever did, really. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Arguably, yes. How, how did you get into to drumming? My dad was a drummer when I was growing up. And so, like, we had drum kits around. But he was also, he was more of, like, a hobby. He had band. He was in a band called Landslide. He was, like, they're from, I'm from London, Ontario. And so, I think their biggest kind of moment was, like, opening for the Headstones. They were, like, a 90s. All right. Sure. Not yeah. Early 90s band. You know what I mean? Uh, but my dad was a reporter. So it was funny. Oh, yeah. They just put out this. <laughs> it's on YouTube. If anyone wants to check it out, Landslide. I guess if you put in like Landslide London, Ontario band, it might pop up. But there's a whole documentary that they just released now wow. that my dad had done because he worked for the TV station. He had these cameras. And it's kind of wild at like how much better a job you can do with your iPhone now than you could with like actual gear back then. <laughs> it's just funny, but it's really fun to watch. And I used to just go to like band practice with them and I'd like sit outside the room where they're all jamming with like the lawnmower headphones on, soundproofing headphones and just like listen and sit there. And then like at the end of practice, they would like let me come in and play. Oh, yeah. songs. So that was like kind of how I started doing it. But didn't really take it super seriously until maybe like 17, 18. And then still I'm just like I'm self-taught. And I actually feel like right now in this moment and a lot to do with it is because COVID and because I have drums in my house, I feel like I'm like in the top shape of drumming I've ever been in. Interesting. Do you remember the first band that you played in? Yeah. I mean, the first band, and it's funny now because I do a lot of hip hop production as well. Like a lot of this stuff is for like producing hip hop. And Tongue Helmet, who I mentioned, is a hip hop group kind of in the Beastie Boysy world with this guy, Tim Wallace, Timbuktu. And that was my first group with him when I was like 17 and he was 19. We, I played some, I played drums in there hip-hop group tool shed we won a london london music award that's right um and then my next band was this then like the strokes came out and stuff like that white stripes the hives and so then i would like some of my it was like guys in the city that i didn't know well but they knew i was a drummer and i think well one of the guys dj'd for tool shed for a little bit so they're like this guy he's a good drummer. We should give him join the band. And then I like joined the band and the band was called Howl at the time, but it then was called the job. And it was actually like a pretty amazing band. It's just the egos. A band just isn't all about how good the band is. It's about personalities. in the band. Oh yes. You got to be able to get along. <laughs> actually like maybe over the music. It's a lot about that. Yeah. Um. So that band was like, kind of buzzcocks meets like mm. uh 
the hives like it was pretty fast and punky but like still kind of technical like when i listen to that stuff now i'm like i can't i don't think i could play it it's so fast and so like spastic and crazy huh was peter in that band no peter was in the next band and how july talk kind of started so i got hired after the job broke up to do uh played drums for this band Mohawk Lodge with Ryder Havdale. And he had also hired Eamon. He was also like Eamon McGrath was an artist on his label. He had a a label called White Whale Records and Eamon's from Edmonton. And Peter, our uh, July Talk singer, is from Edmonton and he grew up with Eamon. So Ryder got Eamon to play in Mohawk Lodge and then Eamon got Peter to play like keys in Mohawk Lodge. And then Ryder got me to play in Mohawk Lodge and we went to Europe on a tour, which was just like a crazy, there's a book written about it. Eamon wrote a book about it. About the tour? Yeah. But I'll look it up. It's like Warsaw to Berlin or something it's called. But it's Eamon McGrath's first first book. We all have fake names in it, but it was just kind of like a crazy tour where we had no money no food, just like had a van, played every night, never had a place to stay. So you had to like meet people or you like slept anywhere you could. <laughs> it was just like insane. Um, but then we like got stranded at Heathrow Airport for four days because of like a sprinkle of snow. <laughs> and so we weren't necessarily getting like rider got a little he was a bit older than us and i think it took a toll on him like how hardcore the tour was we were all like a little younger and like punk rock um and so we were just like we should start our own own band and peter's like i got songs and i met this girl leia and we should start a band and so we started july talk (laughs) and peter and had already like done a couple things together i think like maybe a couple demo-y things yeah and then josh the bass player Josh was a uh, he is in Vulture Culture Films with Peter. So they have like a film company together mm-hmm. that makes like music videos. Uh, yeah, and Eamon was our first guitar player, and then because of his solo career, uh, he left, and Ian, our current guitar player, Ian Doherty, came in. Interesting. Yeah. We Greg, who else was it? Your brother's band that won a London. Music Award? Uh, they were actually just inducted into the London Music Hall of Fame. London Music Hall of Fame. Uh, a couple of years back. I might Where? know them. What band? Zool's Evil Disco. Oh. Well, I've definitely huh. heard of them. I've never seen them. They're, um, they, they were... When, did you, when was your dad playing around what time? I mean, he would have been from 92 to 96 or something. Yeah, so I guess Zool's would have been probably... I think of me. Maybe 91. It was definitely like around. I remember like Smells Like Teen Spirit came out and he had already been in the band for a while and I like got it and showed it to him and he was like, we should cover Yeah. That. Zool's would have been sort of late, I think mid 90s to early 2000s. Okay. I would say. And they were, they were funk, funk rock kind of. I remember talking to Strombo about it and when I said, yeah, my brother was in a band out of, out of London. Um, and he's like, Oh, what band? And I said, Zool's Evil Disco. He goes, are you kidding me, man? The most funky ass P-Funk band 
out of London you could ever imagine. They were just like costumes and over the top. And anyway, so about three years ago, I guess, three years ago, uh, they reunited three years ago, four years ago, they reunited when they were inducted into the London hall of fame. And they had the show at, uh, what's the bar that they played at the big, uh, is it the music hall or whatever? London music hall. Oh, that makes sense. London music hall. Yeah. 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 And the hall of fame's in London music hall. Yeah. I've been like Mario Cercelli, who's kind of like heads the London music Awards, has been incredibly, we've become pretty close friends lately. So he's done some really cool, stuff for us tongue helmet won a london music award i've won three now uh, three london band. music awards i've won three london music awards now oh yeah each build uh tool shed the job didn't win one so i missed a band but yeah. tool shed july talk and tongue helmet have won them so so, so july talk is it because you're from london that's how you guys qualified or we won i mean that had probably had a bit to do with it okay in a way, like, I don't know. They have a category for Ontario, best Ontario band or something. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, yeah, I think, we, you know, it's like, yeah, they have, like, bands like Arkells and Glorious Sons and July Talk. You know what I mean? They're, oh, none of them yeah. are. Actually, Nick from Arkells, the bass player, is from London. Okay. I just I just realized, I just realized, I, I made a mistake. They were inducted at the London Music Hall, but they played at, and... I can't believe this place is gone. Call the office. Yeah. It's so sad. I can't, I, I can't believe that. I mean, I, we, Tongue Helmet played there actually like uh, right before COVID y kind of, like the summer before COVID. Um, I mean, if the place needed a lot of work and it had a new owner who was really trying his best to keep it alive. Yeah. So it was like, a little tough so when it did close i was not like it was incredibly sad and i think that a huge part for me that's going to be really sad when covid's over is that the music venues were already dying because rock the rock genre is pretty it's a, a pretty low point right now i think not not quality wise but yeah, I mean, yeah, wise. um and so the venues were already closing and now it's just like they're all closing. Like this ain't Hollywood and Hamilton's closed and Mod Club. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping that there's I don't know, we've talked about this with a few guests. Like I know I know a place like Mod Club probably won't be able to open up again just because of the value of the property. But I'm hoping on the flip side of this, there are some young enterprising people that are gonna come up with something new. And, and I also wonder what, you know, I've been waiting for the next punk or the next grunge to happen and it's gone on way too long for a something. Significant it should have happened happen. already. But totally. To be totally. Honest, it's a different landscape, I think, because I do follow a bunch of bands that are like crazy good. There's a really cool scene actually going on in the underground rock scene. So you have bands like, like idols from England. Mm-hmm. Who are quite popular, but not anywhere near what like a Nirvana, obviously. No one's like that. And you have Shame, Parquet Courts, uh, Fontaine's DC. Like there's all these like really cool and they're all a lot. Some of these bands are like young, like they're like 19, 20 year old kids. But they're just like, it's a throwback to like early punk kind of like 
uh, new wavy stuff mm. but with a new twist. And you're like, we should have it right now. Like you look at every 10, 10 years, there is pretty much a new rock revolution and we yep. missed it. We it's missed the last happening. 10 years ago. We, there was supposed to be one 10 years ago. Yeah, we missed two more. now. There's yeah, I guess we have right missed now. two. You're right. Missed two. Yeah. yeah. Because you yeah. had the strokes in the early yeah. 2000s. You had yeah. Nirvana in the 90s. Like, it's yeah. like, we didn't have anyone in the 2010s. And yeah. I think that's because technology is really taken <laughs> over in a way and it's yeah. it's kind of funny because i fought it for a long time i was like a rock purist type of guy. and then i was like you know what there is some really cool things happening in the world like i'm a massive hip-hop fan i just am gonna say though i'm not a massive trap rap fan of what's going on <laughs> like i heard the news i checked it out because it like popped up on my youtube or something but like the new six nine i can't remember Whatever, some yeah, you know, he has the rainbow yeah. hair. Some shit. Yeah, I think it's called Zaza. It's terrible. It's like this rap has no. There's nothing good about it. Production's shit. The lyrics are super dumb. I love band. Like it used to be. Like you look at like Public Enemy, Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, Beastie Boys. I don't know. Like all these bands. Like they were. They said something. Mm-hmm. They were innovative. They were doing something. Whereas now I'm like. I'm trying to find it, I'm giving it a chance. I really am, but I'm not finding it. And that makes me old. I know. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Sometimes you have to admit it. That's that's part of the, the healing process, Danny. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I got a job here. I work at Collective Arts. Partly because, like, I was just bored. And also I wanted to, like, come into the city and, like, you know, do something cool for with Hamilton. So I got a job at Collective Arts. And I work in the retail store, which is still open. It's because it's uh, like the LCBO, essential yeah. service. <laughs> but I work with all the like. I work with a lot of like young, like twenty-two to twenty-nine, and you're like they don't give. A, they'll just tell you how old you are. It's like you're super old, dude. I'm thirty-nine. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like should i still work here am i too old you gotta fight i'm not too old i can work with these 22 years <laughs> we have we have a um we have a segment called lost venues and and you brought up a couple of vent you know a bunch of venues um that are either closed or, or, or closing down i'm wondering danny is there is there a venue you know, maybe back before the July talk days or maybe, you know, early July talk days that, I don't know, you loved playing at, uh, that had, you know, there was something special about it um, that that's no longer on the, uh, you know, no, no longer on the scene anymore. I have many. Yeah. I can go back to London and like, like the job days there is the Brunswick Hotel, which is like a dirty dive mm-hmm. bar, but it was known for like mm-hmm. punk. Like London had a pretty crazy, I'm sure Greg... Know, like, had a pretty crazy punk scene mm. in the like late 80s, early 90s. I think even like mid 80s, like you had punk bands like Bad Brains and stuff apparently come in. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's pretty crazy. They would come to London because it was like a punk rock city. So you have all these cool venues like Brunswick Hotel, 
closed its parking lot now. Uh, the Embassy, which is in London, we have one in Toronto, but the Embassy Hotel, which is another like dirty, trashy bar. I saw a lot of really cool shows there and played a bunch of shows there, and it's gone. It burned down. Might have been a like insurance, insurance thing. <laughs> Might have been like a biker thing, a Hells Angels thing. I don't know. Uh, Toronto, the Silver Dollar with like Dan Burke. That was like. He, I've been in like way more bands than just the bands I've mentioned. Those are just yeah. the ones that kind of have kind of made uh, surfaced. But I've played with a lot of people and like Silver Dollar, even July Talk played Silver Dollar. The Job played Silver Dollar. Uh, I was in a band, Grassy Knoll and the Magic Bullet, Invasions. <laughs> like it was just like I was always at the Silver Dollar and saw a bunch of mm-hmm. shows there. Tell us about the Silver Dollar. It's where was it? College? College and Blue no College and Spadina, Spadina. right on the corner, and it was just like a scene there because it's really close to the Kensington Market had a scene when I first moved to Toronto, and somehow I like I moved before all my band members in the job moved, and I didn't have a lot of friends, but I was dating a girl, and then she was part of part of this Kensington Market scene. And I met all these people. And because I played drums, they were like, oh, we need you to play in our band. I was like, cool. So I started just playing in bands in that scene. And like, very wild, very different than what it is now. I mean, there's still a little bit of an underbelly, but it was definitely, it's a lot more like commercialized now, I feel like, when I go there. Um, But yeah. And so Silver Dollar was just like across the street. So we were always playing there. It was just like a crazy scene. I remember, I think. And Dan Burke, who is like probably one of the greatest promoters, he'll go down in history for Mm -hmm. sure in the Toronto music scene. He was a wild man. Then he went through ups and downs for sure. Mm. But a great guy, nonetheless. What what kind of place was it to play the Silver Dollar? Like what what kind of ambiance? What what made it a a great place or, or a bad place to play in your opinion? It was always a great place to play. It was one of those places where like the bar, so the stage, there wasn't a lot of space. It was kind of like a wide spread out room rather than like a long narrow room. So everyone was like at the front of the stage and then there was the bar. And then behind that, there was a wall and then it was like where all the pool tables and tables were. So people could go sit back there if they wanted. But when a band was on, everyone was like hanging out on the floor and i mean if you had 150 people it was probably pretty rammed and it got really rowdy though it was just like a crazy time i saw this musician it's a pretty legendary show if you're into like the mid maybe like 2008 garage rock scene and it's like this artist jay retard maybe not an appropriate name nowadays but at the time we were it wasn't as a thing. Uh, was supposed to be the savior of rock. He was supposed to be the guy. Like Spin Magazine named him. Maybe in 2010, this dude's gonna like bring back rock, like yeah. do a mainstream thing. But he had just had a lot of like drug problems and ended up dying of a heart attack at like 29 or something. Mm. Probably drug related, I would say. Yeah. Um, but saw him at Silver Dollar and it was the most packed show I've ever seen at Silver Dollar. The whole thing was rammed. 
definitely illegal, like over capacity. And he like played and everyone was just pumped because he was like hot underground artist. And he like started playing one song and someone unplugged his guitar pedals and he was getting all pissed off and he like plugged it back in and he's playing and someone gets up on stage and everyone's going crazy stage diving. And another guy gets up on stage and Jay like grabs the guy rips his sweater and just goes boom and like punches him like knocks him back into the crowd as hard like punches as hard as he can and just like fuck you guys i'm out of here you suck and literally it was like one song and everyone just like what and you know there was a riot (laughs) (laughs) and the next time jay came to toronto i went and saw him but there was literally like 20 people there like that just pissed everyone off it was like baby stuff but a lot of memories there. It was yeah. kind of like was my early Toronto hmm. scene. Thanks for sharing that. Um, the first July Talk concert I went to uh, was, I, I, I'll call it the co-headliner you had with uh, Arkells right. at, uh, at Budweiser. Right. Uh, a few, I, I, I still have the cup. Is uh, it still light up when you hear Arkells? It doesn't, no. <laughs> hell, Arkells. I'll let them know. I'll text them. Let them know. Yeah, it's broken. What the heck? What the heck? Um, but I noticed, that's when I first noticed. It. So two things I noticed at that show um, that I've seen you guys do. Um, there were these notices outside of the venue mm-hmm. about, you know, respect each other. Yeah. And when I first saw that, I go, oh, that's, that's interesting. And I, I didn't connect it to July Talk. I connected it to, oh, Budweiser stage. Okay, pretty cool. Um, and then it wasn't until I went to the second show, I saw you guys at, you did a two-night headliner at um, Massey Hall. Three nights. Was it three nights? Three nights. Oh, that's man. one of my highlights. Three nights sold out at Massey Hall. I'm not going to interrupt, but that, that is, yeah. was... Not to brag, but that's pretty cool. <laughs> my, my wife and I went 100%. to that, and it was awesome. It was an amazing show. Um, but you guys had the notices there as well, and I go, "Oh, this is a July talk thing." Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to ask you, like, how how did that get started? Why is that important to you guys as a band? Well, I think like it was a Leia. Leia wrote it, and we wrote that pretty early on. And to be honest, I think it was just a, like an accumulation of a bunch of events. She was mistreated by men at shows. She was objectified. One that really stands out that like you maybe find it went viral actually. Maybe find a clip, but like we were in Buffalo playing the townhouse, the town town hall. I think townhouse is in Sudbury. Town hall, something. But pretty big venue. I'd say you know five hundred people. And this dude, we're playing Rash and Dwell, so it's a quiet song. And some guy just, like, yells out, Show us your tits! While she's, like, in the middle of singing, she's like, What? Excuse me? And she fucking, like, in, like intelligently shamed this guy out of the venue. And everyone turned on him. It was just, like, a really big moment to be like, This is... She's not here to show you her 
hits, dude. Yeah. And have you ever listened to the lyrics of a July Talk song? Because clearly everything we're about is like that type of like respecting genders, respecting mm-hmm. minorities. You know what I mean? It's gone even further now, but like especially early on, it was a lot about gender. Like it's always been. That's the role playing kind of thing that they've always done. And yeah. so they push those boundaries with the lyrics. And that actually, to be honest, carries over into, I learned so much early on touring with them, like being in a van with them and being on, like being with them for 24 hours a day. I learned a lot by making mistakes and learning like I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm saying my language is wrong. My opinions are wrong. I do come from London, Ontario, which isn't necessarily the most like open-minded <laughs> city all the time. And so there was just stuff that was like ingrained in me that I didn't even notice I was doing. So from and it's like still a, obviously it's still a learning process, especially like right now. It's a massive thing. But I will say, like when the Black Lives Matter thing happened. It wasn't like, I think a lot of, it was a wake up call for a lot of people. Yeah. But that wake up call for me, and it was a wake up call for me. I'm not like downplaying it, but that wake up call for me was happening for the past five years before that. Like we were having those discussions far before that was happening because it's been happening for so long. It's not new. It just happened to be a social media, like, like trend thing, which was sad in a way. We also had written a song two years ago, probably called Champagne, which is now out on our new album, Pray For It, which we weren't sure if we could really put it out because of the subject matter and us being like white privileged people. But we wrote it with Kyla and James, who are two uh, black people that are very close friends of ours that are like incredibly intelligent amazing artists so we like wrote it with them and really like talked about those issues and that was like two years before black lives matter and it was already going to press and we were like is this gonna look like we're taking advantage like it was just a really confusing time and we're very proud that it did come out now Mm -hmm. and it's like a really powerful song and we played it on canada day with them we did the elmo combo and they like talked about it saying the rehearsals were really hard because they were having a tough time, like in the heat of Black sure. Lives Matter. Anyways, it's all really interesting. Like the adventure that the whole that July talk has taught me. Everything it's changed my life, like for more than financially or anything. You know what I mean? It's like really changed me as a person. That is for- awesome. Another thing that uh, that caught my attention was. I saw it at the at the um, at the Budweiser show, but I remember Leah interrupting Peter before the Massey Hall show started. At least the one that I went to yeah. to do a land acknowledgement. Oh, yeah. I think Peter's about to get right about to get into song, and Leah just you know tapped him on the shoulder, touched him on the shoulder, and he was basically- too hyped up. Yeah, <laughs> you were at the first show, I think. Probably was that the first one? Yeah, maybe. I, I can't remember. He, we planned, like, Leia does a land acknowledgement before every show. Yeah, yeah. Which is really important. Uh, and so he just forgot. Yeah, yeah. I noticed so that, but the, yeah, it was... Up. He gets pretty... Oh, for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, can't, I can't I think after the first dog, he's 
He's sweating bricks. Um, <laughs> how, how, did that sort is, is that part of this, um, you know, what Lee and Peter, you know, bring to the band and what you guys bring to the band is, you know, it's more than just a rock band. You know, it's, it's, you guys are sort of, you sing about, social issues social consciousness yeah yeah is that is that just part of the ethos of the band yeah i mean i really think that like like peter's mom was a very left-wing journalist growing up and like she's you know what i mean like she's very she's always had those views and mm-hmm. brought peter up that way and leia weirdly enough leia and i both have parents that are like conserv big conservative party type you know what I mean? Like Leia's dad works for the sun and he's I've a, met Leia's dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my dad works for Doug Ford now. And it's just, he's worked for, he used to work for Jim Flaherty. And so we're both like, it's funny that especially her, like she's just really like, she researches and she's really passionate about it. And it's huge. And it's really interesting. It's um, there's been a lot of learning and then teaching on top of that is like because I've been taught so much from them I get to go and pass on some of this knowledge and language like stuff that I've learned that's really one of the things I've I've always um I've I've been a fan of of July Talk for a while I just love love your music um and and so one of the places I've gone to sort of keep on listening to music is YouTube and so I watch the videos and I'm going these are all in black and white yeah. And then you guys put out a video. Is it, is it the news? I can't remember news, which one it yeah. is. That's in color. Like it all of a sudden it comes in color. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, tell me, tell me the story. There, there must be a reason why black and white and now you've got to. Well, it was just like our, it was especially like Peter. Peter's like a very like visionary type of guy. Like he's like, he works harder than anyone I've ever met in like and he always has from like him and Eamon I was inspired by them when I first met them I was like oh you can work that hard at art wow that's crazy like because everyone I was hanging out with was like well this is just like we go party and play music and like hit on girls and it's like well these guys are like we're gonna do this for a living and they did like you know put their money where the mouth is and Peter works so hard and he really just has a vision. And so early on it was like a vision that everything's going to be black and white. Peter Leia, you know, more like masculine feminine kind of thing. And over time things have changed. And now it's like to them, especially because they're singing those lyrics and stuff like Leia doesn't want to sing Paper Girl anymore. It's like one of our biggest songs, but yeah. because of the lyrics, she's like, I don't want to sing that song anymore. I don't agree with it. I don't think it's good. Oh, wow. And so we have played it, like at the drive-in shows in summer, we played it, but like there's slight lyric changes and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> and so the new, like it's just a band growth. We've been together for 10 years now. I don't know when the anniversary was, but it was like February. And so. This past our- February? Yeah, so our first record did come out in 2012, but obviously we didn't just start when our first record. Came. Of course, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, Danny, you got a question for you that we'd like to to sort of you know finish off our our discussions with, and yeah. before we get to the music part, um, what we'd love to know 
because people really dig getting, you know, learning about new stuff is what's, what's in your earbuds lately? What are you listening to that maybe other people aren't? Well, a lot of those bands I mentioned that were like the rock revival idols and Viagra boys sounds like a crazy name, <laughs> uh, but they're a really interesting band who are like pushing. It's kind of like an ironic name, to be honest. They're Swedish, really cool band. Um, I'm listening to a lot because I'm working on like an inside, you know, just decided to work on like an instrumental type hip hoppy type record for fun. Unless you do like the new Mad Lib record is really cool. I can't remember what it's called, but it just came out like a week ago. Um, cool. Always listen to hip hop. Honestly, like Jay Dilla, Tribe Called Quest. That stuff never goes away for me. I always listen to it. Nice. I still love Nirvana. You know, as cheesy as that might be to some people. <laughs> Not to me. <laughs> <laughs> stuff i grew up on i really actually listen to like a that a lot of different styles of music because and my wife listens to like pop stuff like i'll be happy i'll listen to miley cyrus and bruno mars have you Michael heard Blue the Blay christmas never stops playing well, of course even <laughs> <after one. laughs> as your does your wife have the miley the 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 rock album that miley cyrus did like the new one yeah uh, no, she doesn't have, no, she doesn't have any vinyl of, she has Bruno Mars vinyl, but she, yeah. and Michael Buble. She also likes other, like, indie sure. stuff, for sure. Really into Phoebe Bridgers right now, if anyone, like, mm. a lot of the younger people are into Phoebe Bridgers. He's, like, really beautiful, slow, folky stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Um, no, the new Miley Cyrus is great, though, but we just listen to it on Spotify. She's she's got a, a rock voice for sure. She's awesome. She's actually like one of my favorite, not necessarily because of her music, but we did a tour with Against Me um, years ago when Laura Jane Grace had just transitioned. So the singer of Against Me was a man and then now has transitioned to be a woman. And so it was really just fascinating and they had just Miley Cyrus had just had Laura Jane Grace and Joan Jett come do a backyard session, which wasn't released at the time. Laura Jane Grace, we were just hanging out. She's like, you should check this out. Miley Cyrus is so awesome. And so they did replacements, androgynous, um, just an amazing cover to check that out on YouTube. But yeah, Laura Jane Grace did like Miley Cyrus is like one of the nicest greatest people around and from then on i was like she's really cool and then her and wayne coin had a weird wayne coin from flaming lips had this like weird where they became this intertwined artist you're kind of like is there because he's much older (laughs) (laughs) going on here i don't know but i think it was just fully like this art type of thing anyways i find her fascinating awesome another fascinating person i find (laughs) Adore Delano, who is from uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, yeah. So she's a drag queen. Was on American Idol originally as Daniel. I can't remember what his last name is. But, yeah, just another, like, and makes music that I, like, can't really listen to. But just as, like, an artist, I'm, like, really cool. And, like, a social media presence. Just really fascinated by that kind of nowadays sometimes 
That's really cool. Yeah. You, do you tell your young kids at uh, Collective Works that you're not that old? <laughs> I will. Dylan <laughs> <laughs> you know, Cream said that. I think they think I'm cool. They just like to give me a hard time. That's what I like to believe in. Anyway. There you go. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, Danny, before we wrap up, um, would love, love to invite you to, to, to play whatever, you know, whether you want to do some drums or keys or guitar or, or I whatever. I can do some drums, I mean. Let's see if it sure. blows your head. Yeah. All right, let's do it. Okay. I'm just going to move my uh, computer. Sounds great. Sorry about that. Can you see? What am I looking at? Yeah, I can see yep. that. Here we go. You see them there? Yep. Yep. You can see me? Yep. We can. Kind of dark. I don't know. Do something. That's not going to work, is it, Greg? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it hears. This is like Metallica. Gosh, full circle. Daddy, can you hear us? Yeah. I think what happens is because it's too loud, we hear nothing. Wow. <laughs> did you did you watch did you watch the Metallica? video on twitch oh. the other night oh <laughs> that's a whole other you know they just what basically happened was twitch was afraid of having a dmca violation against them for playing metallica so they did eight bit lounge music over top so <laughs> we we couldn't hear you but all we're picturing is that eight bit lounge music <laughs> i don't know what to do I don't feel it's all good. It's like all I'm good. good enough at other instruments. To, you know, that's, show that that's, that's hilarious. That is perfect, Danny. That is fine, man. Well, tell everyone I apologize that I'm just too crazy. When this too is crazy. when you need to apologize. <laughs> when when we are when we're done with uh, with lockdowns and COVID and we're out, uh, you know, able to go to concerts and shows, we'll we'll have you back. Amazing. And and we'll uh, we'll properly mic up the gear. That sounds great. And have you do that. Awesome. Da- Danny, thank you so much for coming on. We really yeah, appreciate you, it. Yeah, so fun. Thank you. Awesome. Let's do this again. Let me know. Abs- absolutely. All right. Thank Thanks, you so buddy. much. Thank Cheers. You. Cheers. Take care. <laughs>